This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi, or good afternoon in uh, New York, right? Hi, Mom. Hi. It's afternoon in New York. It's nice and sunny and warm. Right, and we've just been through the National Conference of Compassionate Friends, and uh, you want to talk a little bit about uh, our friend Alan? Sure. We have a friend, Alan Peterson, and he is a singer-songwriter who's been on our show several times, and he won an award at Compassionate Friends for all the work he's doing, and he has a great Facebook page. Um, called, oh, what's it called? Now I'm not going to know what it's called. Um, he's doing a national tour. Well, anyway, you can find his Facebook page by going to ours. If you become a member of Open to Hope Foundation on Facebook, you will see Alan's world. He's doing a tour around the country. He's going and singing anywhere you want. If you want him to sing for you, he will. And he's singing in honor of all the children that have died out there. And his daughter. And his daughter, Ashley. Oh, yeah, Ashley. She's a wonderful person. Yeah, and go to our Open to Hope Foundation website, and you'll see pictures of the conference, too. A great conference. Well, Heidi, um, this is uh, July 11th. It's Scott's birthday. Yeah, I know. Happy birthday. That's amazing. Yep. Yep. I can't even think of how old he would be. Oh, you're going to date me if we talk about his age, but he's in his early 40s now. (laughs) So I... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting to talk about his age, and I'll tell you why. And I know our listeners can really relate to this. Scott and Matthew died when they were seventeen together, and in my mind, now I don't know how this is for you, Mom, but as a sibling, and Scott was three years younger than me, as my little brother, I still think of him as forever seventeen. I cannot picture him in his forties at all. To me, he's forever seventeen. That's the way I see him. That's the way he lives on in my mind. You know, that's interesting because I, I must uh, kind of position it a different way because I think as you guys get older and you've got your spouses and you've got your own life and I'm not as involved in it, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I think, well, he would have had a wife and he would have been more involved with her than he would with me because, you know, you're so involved with, with your kids at that age. In particular, I get a big kick out of teenage boys. So, um, yeah, and I'm enjoying my own uh, teen grandson uh, grandsons coming into those teenage years. It's kind of fun to see the things yeah, that they're the, doing. Yeah, but the question is do you look at do you envision him as being in his 40s i i don't or think, do you <laughs> think when you think of him do you think of him as your 17 year old i i actually think of him being married and off doing other things so at okay. this point i don't think i don't think that way but you know when i see my my nephew scott scotty who we named it was named after my brother he reminds me so much of scott because he's 15 what, 14 or 15 years old right now and they look a lot alike and they're both very athletic and it brings up so many memories, good ones, I have to say, of my own brother. So Yeah, yeah actually. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the thing with siblings is we sometimes we get closer as we age. Oh, so my that's true. Is that we would have spent a lot of time. I'm actually a lot closer to my sister Rebecca than I was growing up. Yeah, I think you enjoy your sisters probably as much as you ever have. Uh, and, you know, the whole family, I don't know, it seems to me. I've always enjoyed Heather. I'll be honest with you, when Rebecca and I were growing up, we, there was a lot of sibling rivalry. We were only a year apart. And as we've gotten older, we've become really, really good friends. So, yeah, we've gotten closer since we graduated from high school. And I I always think that Scott's death has brought our family closer together in a lot of ways. 
which is, is kind of interesting. At least that's my perception. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I appreciate the family and I appreciate my siblings and my parents because I know that we're only on this earth for a certain amount of time. And so I really embrace those relationships. And, and, and I do feel close. Yeah. And uh, we're going to talk with Amy Maddox about her book and her journey and uh, Too Precious for Earth. And, and I think um, it'll be interesting to hear what Amy has to say about how this has impacted her family, the death of Connor in 2007. Well, Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to have you on. You're in Logan, right? Logan, Utah? I am, yes. Yeah, and I actually. Luckily, it's sunny today. <laughs> I actually grew up uh, in Brigham City. In fact, uh, Scott's buried in Brigham City, right, Heidi? Oh, wow. He is. I, oh, yeah, he is. Even though I grew up in upstate New York, we did bury him in my mom's hometown and my dad's hometown. And yeah, it's beautiful out there. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's really a beautiful area. And Brigham City is only about 20 minutes, actually, from where I live. So. Yeah, oh, that's really neat. Yeah, it's beautiful there in Logan. Well, Amy, uh, I got your book, and oh, it's a powerful book that you've written uh, about Connor and uh, his premature birth and what he died two years, I mean, two days later. Three. Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah, he lived for three days. Yeah. And uh, it, it's a very moving story. And I know that you went to the libraries yourself and looked around for books after his loss and decided that you were going to write your own, which I think is an incredible thing. And one of the things that I told Heidi that has impressed me about your book is that sometimes people write books really retrospectively, but you uh, really, when did you start r- working on it? Fairly early. I did, actually. And Actually, how it began was a journal. So I didn't necessarily have intentions of publishing a book until, um, like you said, when when Connor died, I'm a reader and a writer. And so the first thing I did was go to bookstores and libraries, and I found that there was a lack of material of what I needed. There was there were a lot of books on the stages of grief and the different types of things I could expect and how to go through and heal. But there, was, there wasn't anything that spoke to me on a personal level. And I did find a couple of favorites, but read those in a night. And so um, I started journaling my experiences. And I actually kept two journals at that time. One of them I still keep, and it's one that I write to Connor daily. And it's just my thoughts to my son. The other one I kept of my experiences and my thoughts and feelings and just everything that I was going through at that time And that is ultimately what became the premise of my book. Um, I realized in my travels, I started meeting so many women and men that had experienced child loss that have nowhere to turn and no real story they could connect to. And so when when I actually decided to publish, I turned my journals into a book. And that's why they're more realistic. It's kind of like reading a novel that ends up being a self-help guide. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and that's kind of how I wanted it. I wanted people to be able to read it as a good read for others who also had not lost a child that could understand what we as parents go through. Well, it's very powerful in talking about that. And we'll talk, you had uh, just your pregnancy. I mean, you were in so much pain all the time and, and they didn't put their finger on what the problem was, right? Yes. Yes, that was very frustrating. Several doctors misdiagnosed what really was going on. And I had just chalked it up to being ill and just not having a good pregnancy in general, but persevered because I knew it was for a life and it was my son and just kept plugging along. But yes, 
I sometimes wonder, though, it, now I can look back and say, well, had I been diagnosed correctly, they probably would have taken Connor at too early of a stage for him to have lived. And he, you had uh, preeclampsia, right? Can you tell people what that is? Yeah, preeclampsia, it's sometimes called toxemia in pregnancy, but it's also HELP syndrome, if you've heard of that. And, and basically, it's where your blood pressure is too high, you get uh, high protein in your urine, and there's just all kinds of stuff going on with your body that um, the only cure is delivery. Right, because the, so, the body can't deal with the baby, baby's waste right. and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like you're almost allergic to being pregnant in a, in, a, in a way. That's a crude way to put it, but it's an easy way to understand. And so if it leads to eclampsia, which is the stage that I had got to, um, then it can cause seizures and death for both mother and child. And so that's when they determined that they had to take Connor early. And so he was delivered 12 weeks early. Now talk, and a, and talk he, a little bit about one of the things that I thought was interesting about this was the fact that you said that uh, having a C-section was very difficult, you know, because sometimes you think, oh, it would be nice not to have a vaginal delivery. It's very painful. And the, the women who had uh, C-sections, but that, that it was difficult. Yes. You know, I had always had that misconception that that was the easy way out. <laughs> and now it's a total reversal, reversal of thinking. Um, because I did have my daughter, who's 20 now. I had her normal delivery and then uh, my son's C-section. And it really it was not a good experience for me. I felt so detached from the, from the labor and delivery because I was. Mm-hmm. I was not in control of anything. And then, plus, you could still feel what was going on, but you didn't get, you know, it, it wasn't just your normal delivery where you get your baby and life is grand. It was just quick in and out, sew you up, take him away. And, and then afterward, the recovery time is like five times as long because you're dealing with the wounds that they had to close. And it's just not a nat- as natural a process. And, and so it really took a longer time to recover from that. I'm thinking of how hard it would be to not only be physically recovering, but then having the added of, of grieving, being, you know, in grief yes. when you're physically not feeling well. Mm-hmm. Well, because that's a problem in, in any, losing a child at any point, you've got, right. you know, that's a physical reaction, that, that grief mm-hmm. you go through. So you're right. Having that on top of it, it was a trial, but it almost was masked because of the grief I was feeling. And mm-hmm. so I just kind of plugged through life. And it could have added to, I mean, I was in a state of depression for quite some time, and it was my writing that really pulled me through and got me out of that. And my research and meeting other people that had gone through the same and then finding inspiration in, in other venues like volunteer work. Yeah. How long did it take you? Did you, you know, you teach, right? I do. I teach language art. Uh, how long did it take you to get back to school? Um, physically, I was not able to go back to work for about three months mm. because I had had, um, in, my, in my book, I go through and describe how they actually had to take me back in for surgery because my wound was um, bleeding inside. It was not, they had put me on blood thinners and so it wasn't healing. So they had to actually go open me back up and and fix some things. And so my C-section was a little more involved than a normal one. And because of that, my recovery time was a lot longer. And plus you throw depression on top of that. And so I actually did not return to work for, it was a total of about three months that I was gone from work. 
And it was really tough going back to teaching because it's not like an office job where you can close your door and not mm-hmm. associate with people. You know, you've got to be happy and cheerful and, and know your subject matter. So that was a well, tough transition. Well, also, Amy, Amy did the, any of your students ask you about, about it also, about oh, yeah. Connor or about what had happened? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that would be hard. Mm-hmm. That's what I would think, yeah. and I would think that would be hard because while you probably enjoy the support, you, you don't know when people are going to ask. So you, there's some yeah. kind of getting well, up some yes, kind of control. Right, and they had gone through the pregnancy with me. They were as excited as anybody, and and so when I came back, I had planned on that. So I just took the very first day back with all my class periods. I have six different classes, and and went through each class and answered questions. And it was a, it was a tough day, but I mm-hmm. I was as honest as I could be as you can with twelve year olds. You don't want to give them the gory details. But right. I was honest as I could be with them. And then I said, okay, we're done. We're not going to talk about it anymore, and we're going to go on from here. And so I kind of gave them that one day to ask mm-hmm. and to kind of get questions, and then we went on from there. And that was the easiest way for me to deal with it. So now tell us a little bit about Connor. He, he was born very tiny. How, how big was he? He was one pound, five ounces, mm. and 12 inches long. He was just tiny, but amazingly so perfect. He came out breathing on his own, and he actually did not even need a ventilator for about the first day. And wow. He did, so they must have thought yeah. he was going to live, right? Oh, yeah. Wow. We, they planned on it because my daughter, 17 years previous, had been born early as well, and mm. she did fantastic. And so we had – it never crossed my mind that he wouldn't live. It just was not an option in, in my mind. And so he did wonderful for the first two days of life, and then – he somehow got an infection in his lungs. And when you're that tiny, it's really hard to fight off infection. And so ultimately that's what took his life was that infection he received. But those three days changed my entire community. Just it's amazing what one person's presence can do. And a lot of it was in how I I enjoyed listening to you speak about Scott and how his death brought you closer together and Heidi, you were mm-hmm. saying that you appreciate life more. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened in our situation with our entire community. It was like people just rallied around and realized, wow, and and started doing all kinds of kindness toward oh, ta- others. Talk and, about the blanket. Mm-hmm. That's so sweet. The woman who made the blanket. Oh, yes. Um, she. There was a lady that made several things, actually, but in particular, a, a huge blanket that had his... Connor's name and the names of all six of his sisters and his stats, like his uh, birth date and weight and all that. And it had pictures and such representing different things about Connor. And and she donated those and poems and um, little hankies with his name on them to everybody in our family. And nobody asked her. She just did it out of kindness of her heart. And so you realize when things like this happen, people out there are just waiting for opportunities to serve others. Yeah, talk talk a little bit too about the bad things that happen. I I was telling Heidi, I could you know really resonate. You're in in church and and you're sitting next to somebody and her baby's really out of control and she says, would yes. you know would I'd like to give this baby away or do you want to take it or you know which is yes. an offhand comment that that I bet you know a lot of people have made. But really hits, yes. yeah. But really yeah, hit badly. You, you know, we we could write a book on all the comments that are said to a bereaved parent 
that are so inappropriate, but people don't realize. They're just, you know, these are comments right. that you and I would normally say. It's just taken in a certain context. It is different. And and that was, several things happened like that. That one in particular, her her toddler was misbehaving and, and she looked exasperated and looked straight at me and said, do you want a kid? I'd give him to you for free. And mm-hmm. I just lost it because, of course, my son had just died. Yes, I want, I would love him, but... And mm-hmm. to have her feel that way, and you, you ran into that a lot afterward, and I still do. I handle the comments better now because I can react to them. But at the time, it was so fresh and raw, that the hurt, that comments like that really just set you back because you, you just look at these people like you have no idea what you have, what you're holding in your arms that I can never. And so it also woke me up to comments um, for example, you'll, you've heard people say, oh, just shoot me. That's ridiculous. Well, I have experienced in my family suicide where someone shot themselves. So now when you hear that comment, that's the first thing you think of. And so it really, I, I hope people are more aware of how their comments can affect others, not knowing what they've experienced and what they've gone through. And I've actually had several people after reading my book say, I'm glad you woke me up to the fact that there are some comments we just shouldn't say to people not knowing what they have gone through. Well, so that was Amy, you've got that. some great suggestions in your book. And uh, one of them is, well, there's a take care of you section, which I think is great. You've got a whole list of things that you suggest that uh-huh. people write down. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, the whole last chapter um, are really, it's called Final Thoughts. And, and I just give all of my advice for what really worked for me and what works for others that I have met that have gone through similar experiences. Um, But the overall theme is um, just the different things that you can do for yourself end up helping others. And in return, in my mind, every little thing that we are doing, those loved ones that we have lost that have gone on before us, they're up there cheering us on, and they're showing their pride in us, and we are memorializing them and honoring them by doing these things. And so the last, that last um, section of my book really goes through and talks about all the different ideas and things that you can do in memory of your loved one, and in turn, you're actually helping yourself because of the feelings that you gain from that. Well, Amy, this is a beautiful book you produced, Too Precious for Earth, and, and a lovely picture. And a picture of the picture on the front isn't Connor, is it? But the back, well, back picture no. is. No. The back picture is the one on front is actually um, the designer. I told him what I wanted. I gave him an image of what I had wanted, and he created that. Wow. And so that's actually not a real child. <laughs> uh, it's, it's beautiful with sparkle in his eye. But that picture of Connor on the back, what a, a beautiful little baby. And uh, congratulations you. on your book and for the work you're doing for people. And uh, uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Amy. Thank well, you. Thank you. Well, Heidi, um, very interesting show, and I know there are a lot of folks out there who are going to benefit from this show, and uh, Amy's pretty inspirational, isn't she? Absolutely, and uh, yeah, I think she's going to help touch a lot of lives and help a lot of people who have lost children. 
And I love the idea of uh, bringing closer together and having hope and and all those kind of things. And we uh, wish you all the best that are out there and uh, hope that you will continue to tune into the Open to Hope show and also visit us on our Open to Hope website. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Please tune in again next Thursday at 9 a.m. California time, noon. Yeah, noon, right, Heidi? Yes. (laughs) Eastern Standard. Yeah, 12 noon Eastern Standard time for more of the Open to Hope show. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.